know that we're working on a verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Ephesians. We've been here for a little bit over a year, having a good time learning and studying God's Word about who we are in Christ, about the, uh, the calling that God's given us, and also about, about a, a walk that's supposed to, 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 to measure up to what it is God's called us in Christ. And so we're up to that point of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, which is just a great reminder about uh, who we are in Christ, what the church is supposed to be. And uh, we'd read in uh, verse 4, 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so basically we've been in that text for a little while. I preached a message or two on missions and on evangelism, and I kind of overviewed that whole verse. And we want to spend a little bit more time as we've talked a little bit about about, uh, the apostles and the prophets and then some of the evangelist messages uh, and missions messages. We want to take some time to really explain what it means to be a shepherd and a teacher. And so it's kind of in the midst of this Ephesians 4.11 that we're going to take a little time and do a, do a series on, uh, on the church as our elders and our pastor teachers are leading our church into a specific direction. And so with that in mind, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 5. And what I want to do this morning is explain a little bit more about the role and the responsibility of the elder, of the pastor teacher. And so we want to learn from this text of 1 Peter chapter 5. And then at the end of this message, I'm going to try to do this exposition. Uh, and then at the end, I want to talk for just a little while about part of the uh, part of the idea and the plan of the direction of our church and so really this series that we're kicking off today on elders and the weeks to come I'll be preaching on a couple other topics that kind of have to do with the distinguishing marks of Placerita Baptist Church and we're going to talk about who we are and where we may be going okay so keep that in mind but first we want to start with just understanding again this role and this responsibility that God has given to the elders of the local church and so we'll learn that this morning uh, from first Peter 5 1 through 5 I've entitled this morning's message as shepherd the flock of God and so turning now to first Peter chapter 5 let's read 1 through 5 and then we'll dive into our message our time together Uh, Peter writes this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders or to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we bow before you this morning, and we ask for your help 
as we look at this text and talk about the direction that you seem to be leading the elders of this church. God, this morning I pray that we would see in your word the responsibility that elders have to exercise oversight over the church. And at the same time, you remind us that elders are simply under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we all have a responsibility to be humble this morning and to submit to you as our leader. God, I pray that you would help us both understand and apply the principles that we'll be seeing this morning in a way that would bring our body into even greater unity, that will bring our body even to a greater greater humility, that will aid our body in serving and coming alongside one another as we seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, as we seek to magnify the grace of God in salvation. I pray, God, that you would be exalted in our time together this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, sheep are very interesting animals. People started raising sheep about, about, uh, about the time of creation. And it goes all the way till today. And there are actually about a billion sheep on the planet. In fact, some countries have more sheep than they have people. Just ask our Kiwis from New Zealand. That's certainly true in their country. In fact, the idea is that, did you know that there's actually about 900 different breeds of sheep? And sheep are sometimes thought of as being super dumb. Like the stories you hear about how sheep follow each other right over a cliff, right? But in some ways, sheep are not as dumb as you think. Did you know that sheep make a bleeding sound and a baby lamb can actually identify its mother by the bleat? Maybe you ladies want to try that sometime, see if your little ones follow you around. But sheep also, not only are are they interesting in how they bleat and the the young can can, uh, identify their mom in that way, but sheep like to eat. They are grazers. They eat almost any type of grain or grass. In order to accommodate for that, their stomachs have four compartments, and they belong to the ruminant classification of animals, which are animals that chew their cud. Sheep are usually sheared once a year, and the wool is spun into thread, which was the main material used for clothing for centuries. To take one pound of wool and to spin it up, you could come up with about 10 miles of yarn. Well, while you and I don't make a bleeding sound, chew cud, and most of us get a haircut more than once a year, You and I are more like sheep than we know. We all know that the Bible, throughout its entirety, oftentimes refers to people as sheep. And while we're certainly created uniquely different than sheep, as in we're created in the image of God, nevertheless, there are many ways that we act like sheep in our behavior. In fact, sheep are super social. Did you know that? They, they like to flock together or to be in a group. It's rare that you would ever see one sheep totally by itself out on some pasture somewhere without others nearby. Sheep have a, a, a high degree of independence to some degree, but they still like to flock together. In fact, sheep are even able to stand on their feet shortly after they're born, but they usually like to still stay close together in a flock. Sheep are also defenseless for the most part against predators like coyotes or wild dogs. 
And so it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep, wrote commentator Philip Keller. He goes on to say, the behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just care Uh, do, do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require, more than any other livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. Did you know, for example, that most animals know how to find their way home? This is definitely true of most domestic animals like dogs and cats. You probably all heard a story about how you lost your dog and then a day later or a week later we had a dog that was gone for almost a month when I was a kid growing up and all of a sudden showed back up in our yard. It's also true of domestic animals. They can kind of find their way back to the barn. If you've ever been horseback riding out in the wild and you start to turn the horse back toward home, you know it kind of picks up the pace a little bit to get home, to get you off its back and to get something to eat, right? But not sheep. Sheep aren't that way. Sheep, if they stray in unfamiliar territory, they become completely disoriented and can't find their way back home any more than a teenager could find his way home from downtown Los Angeles. I mean, they're going to be calling you on the phone, right? Mama, how do I get home? What freeway am I supposed to get on? Hopefully the GPS units are helping with that a little bit. Sheep need a shepherd, to guide them and to protect them, to lead them to food and water, and sometimes to rescue them from harm. One commentator writes, Sheep spend most of their time eating and drinking, but if they become lost, they are helpless to find adequate food and water. Left to themselves, sheep will indiscriminately eat both healthy and poisonous plants to overgraze and ruin their own pasture. They, they need to be led to water that is not impure and stagnant, not too hot and not too cold, and water that is not moving too rapidly. That's why the psalmist refers to quiet waters in Psalm 23. Well, again, we, we all know that we are like sheep. The Bible, again, says that in many places throughout Scripture. Consider Psalm 78:52. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Or how about Psalm 95, 6 and 7? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Or how about in the New Testament from the lips of Jesus himself in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so like lost sheep without a shepherd, we have all gone astray and left the safe pasture from time to time to graze in the world of foreign grass filled full of danger and toil where our discernment is weakened and our spiritual life becomes disoriented. And we must admit that we are delicate creatures who without proper discipleship could walk off a cliff or drink from the unclean waters of this world. And thank God that we have a chief shepherd 
Jesus Christ the righteous as our guide to pull us back into the, into the fold and to teach us to walk where it is safe and where we can find good food for, the, for, 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 for our soul to be fed in the word of God. And while we are all sheep under the good shepherd, the scriptures clearly teach that Jesus, as the chief shepherd, appointed under shepherds to help provide care and watch over the souls of his sheep. But we could say Jesus came to save the church. The Holy Spirit came to saturate the church. The apostles were appointed to start the church. And the elders are called to shepherd the ongoing church. A church without a shepherd is like a team without a coach, like a student without a teacher, like a country without a president. So just as God has called citizens to submit to the government in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter chapter 2, just like God has called servants or slaves to submit to their masters in Ephesians 6, Colossians 2, and in 1 Peter 2, just like God has called wives to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and in 1 Peter 3. And just like God has called children to submit to their parents in Ephesians 6 and in Colossians 3, so has God called the church to submit to their elders. And so this morning I want us to all have a better understanding of the role of a shepherd So that we can learn to submit to the shepherds that God has placed over us. But this passage of 1 Peter is also an exhortation to the shepherds themselves, to the elders, that they might elder well under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to give you four exhortations for elders and every Christian so that we might all receive a crown of glory when the chief shepherd Appears. And so these exhortations will go like this. Number one, elders are exhorted to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. Notice in verse one, in the first part of verse two, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now Peter had just concluded the thought at the end of chapter 4 that as Christians we should entrust our souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right. In fact, the whole context of 1 Peter is do what's right even when you're in the midst of suffering, even when you're in the midst of persecution. There's a way that you can rejoice and grow and your faith can be strengthened. It's really a book about how to persevere under trials and not just to kind of make it through, but to even broadcast the glory of God in his goodness and providing an example, Jesus Christ, who's gone before us so that we would follow in his steps. That's what First Peter is all about. He's encouraging believers who've been dispersed all over Asia Minor and encouraging them to stay close to Jesus and to not be overly uh, surprised about the trials that they're going to face, but they can actually grow in their faith and bring glory to God during difficult times. And so part of the book is about how to submit well to those over you, even if you don't necessarily like what they're doing. The, the chief shepherd, the Jesus Christ, 
the chief shepherd, as we know, obviously, is Jesus Christ. He has entrusted elders with the responsibility of shepherding the flock. Now, there are three uh, different Greek words used in the New Testament to describe the office of a pastor or elder, which is one and the same office. And we've gone over this a few times already as we looked at Acts chapter 28, verses 18 through 38, as we even overviewed already Ephesians 4.11 and talked about what a pastor elder is. But let me just remind you one more time, because all three of these words are used right here in this text in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here are the three words that are given here. The first one is just the word elder. You can just write there if you're taking notes there in your first blank. It's just the word elder. It's the word presbyteros. It's here in the, in the first word where he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. This is where we get our English word presbyterian. It can mean to be rel- relatively advanced in age. So I've always wanted to ask Peter, so like, what does that mean to be relatively advanced in age? Does that mean like you're in your 90s? Or does that mean you're in your 60s or in your 30s? Or what, what does it mean to be an elder? Well, it seems like while the word in and of itself can mean relatively advanced in age, when it's used in the context of describing the church office, the word elder seems to have more of a, a, a focus on spiritual maturity. And, and, and the competency that an elder should have in order to lead God's people. We know, for example, that Paul appointed Timothy to be an elder, and all we know is that he called him young Timothy. And so we think he may have been even in his 30s. And so the idea seems to be bringing about, it's about maturity, spiritual maturity, as far as in the office of being an elder or a pastor. In fact, the first place that we see the word elder in the New Testament, why don't you go with me here for just a moment. Go to Acts Acts chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. This is the first place the word elder shows up in the New Testament. And what we're reading about is how there's a little famine in the land. And so uh, some of the, some of the, um, the, the, the church, the, the members of the church of Antioch are going to provide some care for the brothers that are living in Judea. So in Acts chapter 11, verses 29 through 30, we read this. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Again, the context, there's a famine in Judea. Agabus the prophet said, hey, there's going to be a famine. So these believers in Antioch, just to the north of Israel, said, we need to send some funds or some food down south to help out our brothers in Judea. Verse 30, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so this is the first place the word elders is used in the New Testament. It starts to give us the idea that there's a plurality of elders in Judea. They never identify, we're going to send it to the pastor of the Jerusalem church. While we think maybe James was the pastor for some degree of time, it's never singled out as we're just going to send it to this one person, which starts to give us the idea already that a church should be led not just by one elder, one pastor elder, but, but a plurality of elders. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, we see here that elders are actually appointed in the New Testament and not not technically voted on. Uh, All I'm saying is we don't see any clear example in the Bible of a church voting for an elder or not, but rather they're, 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 they're appointed. And so in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so the idea here is that you have Jesus came, Jesus selected his 12 apostles. The apostles then in return began to set up elders in various 
churches that they would lead and and guide and shepherd those churches under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the office of apostle is going to end up dying out, and so that responsibility is given over to and continued by the elders of a local church. And then we start to see not only did apostles appoint elders, but next we'll see how now elders are going to be appointing elders. If you'll turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, then we see as Paul is now writing to Titus, another one of his disciples who's going to venture out into Crete to establish churches and and to do do the work there. Notice what Paul writes in Titus uh, chapter 1 verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so we see now that Paul is appointing Titus as an elder and asking Titus to appoint other elders as elders there in that area of Crete. And then he goes on to describe what is it that you're looking for as an elder. So as you consider uh, nominating elders for our church, I want you to know that Dr. Barrett gave a genuine invitation. We desire your feedback. We desire your input into recommending anybody that you think would be qualified as an elder. And then what we'll have is the elders consider whether, how far we would go forward with that process. And then we're going to come back around and get back to you. But the idea is you want to look at a text like this, Titus 1, 5, all the way uh, through verse 9, and also 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 1, uh, 1 through, through uh, 7 or there where you're identifying uh, the idea of these are the kind of men that God would raise up. And we're familiar with those, those uh, qualifications, but they're always good to review that they would be a man above reproach, that he wouldn't be given over to the love of money, that he wouldn't be pugnacious, that he'd be able to manage his own household well, that he's a, he's a one-woman man. And so these are kind of all the qualifications that an elder needs to possess in order to be appointed by other elders as a fellow elder. And so we see here in these texts that we've looked at in Acts and in Titus, we see here a little bit of an indication of a plurality of elders. We see a little bit about elders appointing other elders, and we see just a little bit about the qualification of elders. Now, the next word for the office of elder is the word overseer. So we're back now to 1 Peter 5, 1. He says uh, that I want to appoint as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the, in the, uh, in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so the idea there behind the word oversight is overseer, or it's where we get the word episcopate which is where we get our English word episcopal. And this word is also the word that's used in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Uh, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so the word overseer or episcopy would be translated, uh, could be translated as the word bishop or the word uh, overseer describes one who is watching over with special care and great responsibility. So it defines not only someone who's spiritually mature, but someone who's responsible to oversee all the affairs of the church. And then we see verse 3 that really describes the function of an elder, or not verse 3, but number 3 there. It's the word shepherd, or you see it in italics there. It's poimain. That would be the idea of a true shepherd who's caring for the flock. It's the same word used in Acts 20, 28, where Paul challenges the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit is made you overseers to care or to shepherd for the church of God, which he obtained for his own blood. And so this word shepherd means to watch out for other people, uh, the, the act of protection, the act of ruling over and even governing people. And so these three words together, elder, 
overseer and shepherd refer to one and the same office, which has been ordained by God to govern his church. Now, in the first Peter text that we're in, notice that there are also here three ways that Peter refers to himself. First of all, he says, as a fellow elder. As a fellow elder. Now, we all know that Peter's an apostle. He could have easily said, hey, as an apostle, I'm commanding you to do this. But I think what Peter's doing is starting to get to the point in his life where he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to identify myself as an elder with other elders because this is what's going to be happening going forward. He's connecting with the church. He's trying to come alongside them in a humble way. Even though he could have kind of bore down on them as an apostle, he's coming to them as a fellow elder to plead with them. Notice he also identifies himself, secondly, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so we know that Peter had seen the beatings and the persecution of Christ. He was there the night of the crucifixion. He was accused in the garden of being a Galilean, which he denied three times. Then he repented, right? And he's a faithful follower of Christ. After the resurrection, he is now emboldened to preach the gospel as he did in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so he's a, he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he's also, number three, he's a partaker of the glory to be revealed. He had seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had also seen the risen Christ. And so he is heavenly minded here and he's all excited about the return of Christ that he'll come back one day. And so as a fellow elder, Peter exhorts the elders that he's writing to to do two things. And so here we're talking about now see two responsibilities of every elder. Number one, he's reminding them, hey, your job is to shepherd the flock of God. And I think we've already seen that the church uh, needs, needs a shepherd. And the chief shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ, but now he's challenging the local elders to also shepherd in that local assembly. And to shepherd, we could say, means to lead. It means to protect. It means to feed. It means to care for. And so the idea of shepherding is you lead people to the right place where they can learn from God's word. You protect them from false teaching and false ideology that tries to enter into the church. You're constantly feeding them from the word of God through exposition of scripture and discipleship through scripture. And then you're caring for the sheep. You're walking with them and you're, you know, you're, you're mourning with them and you're rejoicing with them and you're spending your time with the sheep. And so that's what Peter is challenging the shepherds to do. Look, you've got to shepherd the flock. You've got to be aware of what's going on. And you can't be aware of what's going on if you don't know your people by spending time with them. And then he tells them, not only are you to shepherd the flock, but notice, secondly, he says that you're to be exercising oversight. It, 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 the idea there is clear that, that there is a governance of overseeing what's going on in the local church. Yes, you're to love them and care for them, but you're also to oversee them. Somebody's got to manage the budget. Somebody's got to oversee which ministries the church does and which ministries they don't. Somebody's got to see who, who, to the, all the needs of the church. And you may have heard some say, well, who gave this right to pastors and elders to lead the church? Shouldn't every Christian have that right? Well, the answer is God has ordained an office. It's called pastor-elder. And so God has ordained that he would set up leaders over his church to help make those decisions. Now, elders would be dumb elders if they didn't get the feedback of the body on a regular basis to, 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 to learn what it is the body is interested in and concerned about. But just because the body is interested in something and concerned about doesn't mean the elders are going to automatically do it because it may not be in their best care. 
And so the idea is that God has is, is, is instructed us through his word to be governed by God-fearing, Christ-exalting, uh, Christ and spirit-controlled elders. So we understand that God has given the government authority over people, master's authority over the servants, a husband an authority over his wife, parents authority over their children, and now Christ has appointed uh, apostles to start the church and elders to shepherd the church in the New Testament. And so they understand, uh, and in order to make sure that we all understand, he then begins to challenge the elders, how do you do this well? Okay, if we're going to give this authority to these elders to make all these decisions and to oversee and appoint them, how can we make sure that they do it well? And so this is the second exhortation that's given to us by Peter. And the second exhortation is about elders are instructed to lead with eagerness and by example. And so look at the second half of verse 2. They're to lead not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so here are three ways an elder is to shepherd and exercise oversight. Number one, not under compulsion, but willingly. Willingly. And so the idea here is that it's being done voluntarily. This doesn't mean that they, they, um, that they are doing it uh, just for money or just for payment or just for obligation. The idea is that if any man aspires to the office of overseer to find work he desires, he desires to do. He's, he's willingly volunteering to do this without pay. You say, great, Adam, I like the way that sounds. Let's take your salary away. Okay, well, you could do that if you want. But the idea in Scripture is that we would have a heart that's willing and wanting to help serve the body. But the Bible is also clear in other passages that it's appropriate to pay the elder who's responsible for preaching or teaching. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves its wages. And so if you do a little study on that, basically you guys need to double my salary. Just kidding. Come on, guys. I'm just kidding. I mean, the, the idea is that it's okay to pay pastors, but pastors ought to be willing to do their service for free. And that's why at our church, we have some paid pastors, just so that we can honestly get all the work done at a church our size. And we have some unpaid pastors. And our unpaid pastors, we call lay elders. The same office. It's the, pastor, it's the pastor elder is the same office, whether he's paid for doing the primary role of preaching and teaching and shepherding like Steve and I, or whether he's unpaid, like Dr. Barrick and Jim Soika and Tim Burrell, who offer their time for, for, for free because they're able to do so. And so the idea here doesn't necessarily mean don't pay anybody. It just means the elders who serve should serve with that enthusiasm to do it in a willing way. They're not doing it out of obligation. Secondly, elders need to be those who are eldering, not, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So it's not for that shameful or sordid gain, but they want to do so with eagerness. The elder or shepherd is not putting himself in a position to make money off the sheep. He's not going to steal the fleece for his own profit, but use the fleece to do the kingdom work in a way that honors the chief shepherd. And so the idea is that he's doing so, he's eager. He can't wait to be involved in the day-to-day -day affairs and the week-to-week -week, uh, situations going on in the church to offer his time to serve the body. Not, not to take from the body, but to give back to the body by serving their time. Or lastly, we could say, not as one who's lording over, but as an example. 
That's the idea, is that an elder needs to serve as an example in this way. And this is a new style of leadership that all the Romans and the Greeks were used to, was the strong and authoritarian leadership that was just over the top. They were used to domineering force, of being dictated of what to do and what not to do with physical power. And if you didn't do what the Romans said, do you get beaten or you get you know, disciplined physically? And this was a very different type of leadership that God is ordaining for his church, why he still has those who are, quote, in charge. They're to be in charge with a loving, caring Example. They're not to rule over with a hard-hearted, insensitive, tyrannical iron fist. Instead, they're to be soft-hearted and compassionate leaders who are examples to the flock, just as Christ was our ultimate example. In fact, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and we see what our example is. Uh, here we read, uh, for, this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffering, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so in the same way, elders are to be that example, that they lead graciously, that they lead graciously. They, they follow the, the, the example of Christ when they were in the upper room in John 13, and Jesus got down on his hands and his knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. There's that idea and that aspect that God has called me and Steve and the elders of this church to lead in this way. And I don't pretend for a minute to be a perfect shepherd or a perfect pastor. I'm filled with pride and I'm filled with my own selfish desire and I'm filled with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. We're all just men, but we're desiring and we want to grow to be more like Christ to lead our church in this way. And so there's great exhortation toward us, and there's also great warning. We don't have time to go there, but you could just jot down Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10, that gives a stern warning to the shepherds of Israel who had not been following this idea of leadership in a godly way, who God is going to discipline. So ultimately, it's God is the one who's going to rescue the sheep from ungodly leadership should that happen. Well, let's move on to our third exhortation, if we can. It's this. Number three, elders are challenged to have an eternal motive. And so there in verse four, we simply read, and the chief shepherd appears, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And so we do all that we do for that unfading crown of glory. We do what we do with an eternal mindset. It's not to gain power on this earth. It's not to gain money. Believe me, I had a job before I was a pastor where I made more than I'm making now. When I was a physician's assistant uh, working in open heart surgery, my salary was larger, even though this church has been very generous with, with us. I'm just making a point is most pastors don't go into the ministry for the money. You, you can make more money out in the business world, but the idea is we do it with an eternal motive. The goal is to exalt Christ in a local body, knowing that Christ will one day return. And so Peter's now linking this with that eternal focus, that the way that we do what we do is because we know Christ is coming back. And so that's the motive, that we would exalt Christ looking forward to his return. And then the fourth exhortation that's given is this. Every Christian is commanded to be humble and submit to God's ordained leadership. And so there in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, we use that verse sometimes out of context, just like, hey, we need to be humble and, and be humble with each other, and that's fine. That's a, I mean, that's the, 
that's certainly okay. But just notice the context is elders are set up by Christ, the chief shepherd, to govern the body, and everybody else needs to be humble to follow this process. And I would say that even elders submit to elders. Just so you know, just because I'm the pastor of the church doesn't mean I can just do whatever I want. I come before our elder board from time to time and I say, hey, here's a opportunity. I'm asking for your input. If you tell me that you want me to do this, then I'll do it because I'm submitting to you. If you tell me you don't want me to do this, then I'm not going to do this because I want us to be all on board that this is a good thing to do, whether it's a speaking engagement or, or a, you know, hiring an intern or whatever. We, we submit everything. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm submitting to our elder board. The elders submit to the elder board, and God's called each person in the local church to submit to the elder board. Again, the concept in Scripture is so clear, just like citizens submit to the government, a wife to a husband, children to the parents, Christ to his father, so is he called the congregation to submit to and to follow the leadership of the elders. In fact, uh, the, the verse that says that just so clearly is Hebrews. May, maybe you want to see it with your own eyes because it's almost startling. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And you're like, oh man, I'm just feeling stifled right now. You're just like hammering me. Well, look guys, we just want to be biblical, right? We just want to preach what the Bible says and we want to do so joyfully. And just like for a woman, if she's receiving a message about submit to your husband, submit to your husband, that shouldn't be a time in her where she rises up and something, you know, she starts to turn into a monster. I will not submit. I mean, she ought to say, you know what? What a beautiful thing that my, my role and responsibility is to submit to my husband as unto the Lord. That's how I show my love for Jesus. That's how I can be sanctified. That's how I can rest in the providence of God. In the same way, children need to submit to their parents. You know, uh, you can't let a 13-year-old dictate what he or he will not do in your home. You have to say, this is what we're doing. And if you don't do this way, then there will be consequences. But we want to show you the blessings you can have of finding your joy in Christ. And so the same way for a congregation to follow elders, look, there's things at this church you may not like. But the idea is, it's not about what you like and don't like. It's about how's your heart? How's your attitude? Are you humble? Because verse 5 in the context here is about saying, hey, congregation, you need to submit to the elders. And you need to, uh, to submit to them and to follow them because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And so the idea is that all of us want to be those kind of people who are following a Philippians 2 model, that we're doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather we're considering others and their interest is more important than our own, that we're having a humble mindset, that we're deferring to one another. We do this on the elder board, and from time to time we defer to the congregation. If we feel like the congregation has voiced or communicated a great concern, that weighs very heavily on the heart of the elders who will say, you know what, we need to help this situation out, that we need more child care. We need another intern for this. We need to help take care of the, the windows over here or whatever. We listen and wise elders will say, hey, we want to help meet that need because it's not just about us. It's about serving the body well. And so this message may sound like a tough one and it's difficult for a young preacher to preach because it could sound self-serving. But just like a husband is over the wife, parents over the children, in the same way shepherds are over the sheep, shepherding them, overseeing them. And so our objective is not to serve ourselves as elders, but rather to serve this church as God has called us to. Okay, so that's the message. Let me get you to the take home and notice on your worksheet there it says special application. Okay, so here we go. Are you ready? We are 
uh, as elders, been thinking and praying for, uh, since before my arrival about the possibility of our church moving from what's called a congregational-led church to an elder-led church. And so all that means is, is that, you know, it may start to sound like here as I start to share a few more things with you over the next five or ten minutes that I, that I have an agenda. And I just wanted to confess to you, I do. I have an agenda. And my agenda is I want us to be who we really are. And who we really are as a church, the way this church has functioned now for some time, is that we have elders who meet and pray and shepherd and oversee. They consider what the congregation says, and then we bring things to a vote at the end of every year. And I just want to say, that's fine. That's not a big deal. This isn't like, oh man, for a church to vote is anti-biblical to the degree that it's heresy and we break fellowship. But you need to know that your present elder board is unanimous in understanding these scriptures, that the responsibility is for us to lead well and communicate and receive feedback from the congregation, but for the congregation to actually take a vote isn't our conviction that it's clearly biblical. The idea of taking a sheet of paper and checking once a year, yes or no, uh, doesn't, is not anywhere in the Bible. What, it, what we see in the Bible is the appointment of elders, the appointment of them leading and governing the church, and the church submitting to the elders, and then elders being warned carefully not to lord over the church in a sinful, harmful way. And so what we're going to be proposing to you is I'm just going to kind of lay it out, some changes that I'm thinking about making, but they're not really that big of a change because this is already how we operate. We pretty much already operate in the way that, that we lead and guide we come to the annual meeting. We do ask for you to physically vote. And the church up to this point in the history of the church, unless I've misunderstood Dr. Barrick and others, the church has always voted yes to whatever the elders have recommended. I, I'm not aware of one single vote in 50 years that has gone against the elder recommendation. And so what I'm trying to say is we would like to move to a pure elder-led, some people call it elder rule model, which would do away with the vote. All right. So the idea, though, is for you, we're not going to do this because our bylaws are set up right now that you still vote. So the idea is you get to vote whether you want to do that or not. You follow me? So the bylaws are set up in, in such a way that at the end of this year, we're going to vote on this issue of whether we want to continue our, our present governance structure or we want to change it to what the elders are recommending to you, a more biblical structure of, of, of not actually voting. Now, again, I think this is probably the biggest conceptual change. There's a few others. The reason this is so big, again, is that as Americans, we just have this mindset, well, I get to vote. I mean, I got, I got my vote. When do I get to vote? I want to give input. What we would say to you is your input is always welcome at any time. You can call, set up an appointment, come to an elder meeting, and we would value that input through you personally having a conversation with us more than you checking yes or no in a box. Checking yes or no in a box could be somewhat helpful, but we feel like it would be far more helpful for you to come, and the way you communicate to us is by telling us what you think, which means this, as we would move forward, if we did move to this elder-led model, that we would try to do even a better job communicating with you. Here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're praying about. For example, let's say we were going to hire a new pastor. Okay, We're going to hire a new associate pastor at some point, and let's say that we put that new associate pastor before the body. What we would do is put that new associate pastor before the body, have you read through the resume, set up meetings where you could get to know that associate pastor, and then we would say, hey, we want your feedback. What did you guys think? 
We, we now, now that we've had him here for the weekend or whatever, or if it's one of our own, you know, we've, we've had this person here. What do you guys think? Did you like him? Did you not like him? And let's, let's let our answers be somewhat biblically minded, not just like, I didn't like the guy's hair, or he's from the South, or, you know, whatever. Let, you know, the idea would be like, what did you like about him? What did you not? We want your feedback so that we can go back to the elder uh, room and talk about it. What, is, what do you guys think? What does the congregation think? What kind of feedback are you getting? And then ultimately, at the end of the day, the elders would make that decision. And guess what? We would never make a decision to say, oh, we're going to hire him anyway. 99% of the congregation hates the guy, but we think that he's awesome, so we're hiring him in your face. I mean, I think you know that's not our mindset, right? Our mindset would be like, hey, we thought this was a good guy, but it's now apparent to us through all the feedback, this isn't the right guy. Let's move on and find somebody else. And so what I, what I hope that you're hearing is, in one sense, nothing changes. In fact, if anything, you might even have more input. Since, since, since we would be doing and working through this, instead of just coming up and check yes or no, you have lots of opportunity to communicate. That exists even now, but you might be motivated to communicate more knowing that you don't have that time coming where you get to check a box, okay? So that's one change that we're thinking about and praying about, and, and, and so you be thinking about that. The second change is this. If we did move to an elder-led model, we think that it's better to become an independent church and no longer be part of the Baptist denomination, all right, so the idea is that this church has been part of the General Association of Regular Baptists for 50 years. And I and the elders unanimously feel like it's wise for us to move out of that denomination. You say, Adam, why? And the answer is because we're not really a part of it. We do zero with the General Association of Regular Baptists. Zero. At, at the present. The church has been involved. It's been a healthy relationship. It's been a good relationship. But really, for, for over 10 years, the church has had minimal, if hardly any, involvement with that association whatsoever. And so we would like to move to a pure independent church. With that would come a possible name change to change the name of our church from Placerita um, Baptist Church to Placerita Bible Church. And so we would just kind of change the name. I mean, my feelings on it is like, let's either get in or let's get out. And so if, we're, if we are a Baptist church and we're all about the General Association of Regular Baptists and that's what we're about and we want to be known as that, then let's get in and let's be a part of the denomination in a more healthy way. If we're not, which we haven't been for 10 years or more, then let's get out of it so that it's not like, hey, are you guys part of the GARBC? Well, I think so. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. You know, I mean, just to be honest with you, I, our network is way more identified with the Master's Seminary and its graduates and people who would attend the Shepherds Conference, people that would attend Together for the Gospel, people that would attend uh, the Gospel Coalition with organizations like CCEF and ACBC. That kind of really identifies the biblical counseling, identifies our church, not that we're Baptists or we're not Baptists. In fact, I find myself, as some of you, saying, hey, they, they, you know, I'm witnessing to my neighbor or talking to somebody, hey, you should come to our church. And they say, well, where do you go to church? And I say, I go to Placerita Baptist Church. And they say, oh, I'm not Baptist. And I say, well, you know what? It's not really a Baptist church. I mean, it is, but it's like, we just preach the word, you know? We just preach God's word and love God's people. Don't let that keep you from coming. So I honestly feel like it will remove some potential baggage that the word Baptist can carry for some. Now, let me just be clear here. I love Baptists. I think it's a rich heritage. I'm not against being Baptist. We could continue to be Baptist forever, and I'm not going to shed a tear. I just think that we are more of an independent church, 
than we are a technical Baptist church. By the way, even, that we, even though we belong to the General Association of Regular Baptists, G-A-R-B, we are still autonomous. Did you know that? They don't govern anything that we do. So if something's going on or something's going down, they have no authority at all over this church. We would value their input if it's biblical, just like we would value the input of numerous churches that are concerned for this church and its well-being, and those voices would speak with much greater, I think, impact on our body than just the association would. Uh, So the idea is that we could move from a congregational-led church to an elder-led church out of the Baptist denomination, uh, name changed to uh, Placerita Bible Church, Um, One other potential change is talking about deacons and deaconesses. So I'm kind of introducing everything. I'm going to try to spend some time on each one of these over the next eight weeks, okay? So now it's just like shock, okay, shock and awe. So the idea is right now we have 16 uh, deacon and deaconesses, uh, 13 men, three women. We're going to be talking a little bit about the idea of complementarianism, which is the idea that men and women are created equal, before God, in our value and in our dignity, but we have different roles and responsibilities, both at home and at church, that's as opposed to egalitarianism, which is the idea that a woman could be a pastor. So right now our church is already complementarian, so a woman can never be the pastor, thank God, or an elder, but she can be a deaconess, and that issue about deacon and deaconesses could go either way. It's really the conservative evangelical world is probably split 50-50. Half the people would say, hey, you could be a deaconess, and that's a particular office for a woman who serves, or you could be a deacon, that's an office for a man who serves. And so right now, our governance structure is we have deacons and deaconesses. What we're going to be suggesting to you is that we move away from deaconesses. Uh, I've talked to the three deaconesses of our church already, and they've shared with me that they're fine not being called a deaconess anymore. Uh, they simply would continue to serve just in the way they are. It just kind of helps clarify a little bit that, that, that uh, when the deacons have meetings, that, which they don't have a, a whole lot of, but when they have meetings, it's like, I mean, it's just confusing. Who's a deaconess and who's not? I mean, in some churches, it's like every wife of every Bible study leader is a deaconess. Well, in our church, it's just kind of like we have three deaconesses. I think we have more than that. So why don't we make everybody a deaconess? Well, if you make everybody a deaconess, then nobody's a deaconess. You you know what I'm saying? It just kind of gets weird. And so what we want to do is value the office of deacon with a little bit more specificity. And we think it would be wiser to move to that office being just men, not women, to drop a lot of confusing conversations that can confuse the idea of complementarianism. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on that so you'll have time to consider. Hey, what do you think about that? Uh, Some other changes that we'll be talking about would be, um, I think that's all the main ones. I'm going to also just talk a little bit about expository preaching. I'm going to talk about biblical counseling. We're going to have a message on possibly on giving, a message on worship. And so what we're trying to do is say, hey, here are the distinctives of our church. If you are in agreement with these distinctives, then you'll have an opportunity to vote on that. And really what you would be doing as far as the congregational vote thing is that you would be voting to never vote again. Okay? So that's what we're going to propose to you is that you're going to vote yourself out of the right to ever vote again in the future. And so that may sound again uh, like, hey, I have lots of questions about it. So we don't have time for a Q&A right now. But as I preach through this series, we're going to open up at least one public Q&A 
possibly more than that. And then the other idea is that we're going to have Q&As on this in your small groups. So for every small group who already has an elder who oversees that small group, he's going to host a Q&A for your small group so that you can ask all the questions you want because everything I've said up here, the elders have been talking about and praying about for about two years. And so every elder is well prepared to consider your thoughts. We are asking for your feedback. Those small groups who don't have an elder that over overseeing that particular small group, Steve and I are planning to come to that small group during the course of this fall. And that whole small group would be based on, hey, ask any question you want. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I think this. I think that. That's all welcome. We actually want that feedback. And if in the course of all of this, we discover, you know what? Our church isn't ready to do this. This isn't a wise thing. We feel like we're having a lot of issues. Then we'll can it. Because guess what? I think we're already doing it. Everything I've already mentioned are things that we're already doing. I feel like the elders are already leading. So you say, well, Adam, if we're already doing it, why cause trouble? You know, why stop something good? We just have a biblical conviction that we want to be more close on paper to who we really are. I mean, our elder board's conviction is that we move in these ways, and we believe that we have biblical um, convictions that would cause us to want to do that. But at the same time, we're not going to split the church. And so, again, if it's evident, I mean, we've already talked about this with all of our elders with all of our deacons, with all of our small group leaders. That's a group of about 20 to 25 man, men. Uh, we've had one gentleman who's, who shared with us some concerns that he would not like to see us head down that path, one. The other 24 are like, hey, sounds great. There was another gentleman who said, hey, I, want, I just need to think about it some more. I want to learn more about it, but I think I see wh- what you're doing. The other 23 would have been like, let's do it. I like it. This is what I've been waiting for us to get to the point where we can make some of these changes that really help define us better as a church. And so I'm just now giving this out publicly. We've been talking about this, again, privately for a couple of years. So what should you do in response to this sermon? You should reconsider 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. You, you should talk about it appropriately amongst yourselves and give feedback to the elders or to your small group leader. And you should also just take your time. Because we're not making these changes today. The annual meeting is the first Sunday of December. So the reason that we're putting it all on the table today is so that we have lots of time to talk about it, think about it, interact about it. I'm going to, again, be preaching six or seven or eight more sermons that will highlight an aspect of the change. And then you'll have an opportunity to do a Q&A with the whole body, Q&A in your small group. And then when December the 7th comes, we're just going to vote. And we're going to vote on these issues. And if it's what the Lord wants, then that's what we'll do. If not, um, then we won't do it. And guess what? At the end of the day, it's it's not a hill to die on. We're, We're not thinking of like, this is what happens and we don't care who's here and who's not here and whatever. We're just simply doing what we believe God would be calling us to do at this time in this season based on much prayer and much biblical consideration. We're trying to implement this passage to shepherd the flock of God and to exercise oversight in a humble and in a biblical way. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to, to learn a little bit from this passage out of 1 Peter. God, thank you for the opportunity to communicate with our body some of the potential changes. I pray that you would promote peace and unity and humility, that we could talk about these things uh, and discuss these things in God-honoring ways with cool um, emotional 
conversations, God, because I know everybody has a thought about this. And so we just pray that you would keep us humble, that you would help us dialogue in a God-honoring way, and that you would help us to remember the principles that we've already looked at this morning so that Jesus Christ would be pleased with our church as we so look forward and anticipate his soon coming return. God, help us as elders to be faithful, to shepherd your flock under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.